And this kind of, like I said, kind of goes back a little bit to announcement time, but I wanted to, to phrase it this week because as we're going through the book of Mark, I'm actually going to combine a few passages that are similar. <clears throat> so, for example, this morning we're going to do 9, 30 through 35, and Jesus is going to talk about his suffering, his passion. It's kind of the, the passion means, again, passion is a classical term for the last week of Christ. So, his this kind of passion prediction, his suffering. And then he, the disciples are going to misunderstand it. They're going to have moments of selfishness. And then he's going to follow it up and talk about greatness and, and serving, right? So, again, there's a really similar passage between 930 and 35 and 1032 through 45. Next week, what I want to do is, you know, I kind of do this about once a year as kind of the state of the church. We just talk generally about our church. We speak about finances. We speak about goals. We speak about directions. We speak about where we've been, where we want to go. Our board is updated at that point. Like all sorts of things are happening. So I want to do that on the fourth. I want to, or have our second Sunday. That was the one slide we had on previously. We'll combine the passages of when Jesus talks about children. And then some of the hard, some of these harder passages we're going to get into, which is, you know, sin and hell. Jesus talks about your right hand, cutting off your right hand and your foot and gouging out your eye and those sorts of things and about the flames of hell. And then we'll do our 13th anniversary on the third. And then the second Sunday will be on the 10th. And then we're going to talk about marriage and divorce on the 17th. My wife had an interesting, I don't know if I've thought about this, but I might need to reconsider because I had made this schedule. You know, Easter falls on fifth Sunday this year. And so she's like, well, should we do our serve day the week before? And I don't know if I had thought about that, but I need to think about that. So it's very possible that we'll just move the serve day to the 24th and try and find some places to serve in our neighborhood, at least serve at Brookdale and be with them for, for that. <clears throat> and then in April, we have the triumphal entry. We have the second Sunday. I'm going to be out of town that week. That's the week that the, the Chicago, the coffee trade show. I'm, I'm going to go to that as just kind of like on-site temporary help for, for that weekend. My buddy Scott Orell is going to teach on the 21st about Jesus clearing the temple and the withered fig. And then we have our camping weekend, the last week in April. So quite a bit coming up, right? And I think I put this in the email. So if you want to refer back to the email, it's all in the email, but quite a bit coming up. And that's kind of going to be the way that things will go over the next couple of weeks. So that being said, again, I want to bring a lot of this up because we're going to combine two passages this week, Mark 30 and 35, and then 10, 32 through 45. So if you got your Bibles open, <clears throat> let's, we're going to read into it. We'll read in the round. And before I do that, if you guys want to get started, because I want to use the whiteboard and sketch a couple things on the whiteboard, but kind of read it in the round 30 through 35, 10, 32 through 45. I just want to grab a paper towel and clean something up. They left the towels, passed the gap. Jesus in my Yes. What were you arguing about on the road? They kept quiet along the way. They kept arguing about Mr. Graves. Sitting down to use false balls said, anyone who wants to, to be first. Yep, go to 10. Just those five verses in chapter 9 and then go over to 10 and read the 32 through 30, 45. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished. All those who followed were afraid. 
Again, he took 12 aside and told them it was going to happen. You're in the prophecy of Jerusalem, he said. And the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death. He will hand him over to the devils, who will mock him, spit on him, log him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. They replied, but one of us is sent to right together in the world. You don't know what absolutely you said. Do you drink the cup of my drink? Or you got guys who were back in the They said, you are able. They said, no. But I drink, you will drink. And with the baptism, with the bread and baptism, you will be baptized. But to sit at my right hand or at my left is not like the grain, but it is for those who and were those for whom it has been. And when the ten heard it, they began to be not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. That to give its life as a ransom for many times. Excellent. So we have these two passages, very similar, right? And we're going to kind of bring them together. And this one kind of, the first one happens kind of in Capernaum, in Galilee. And the first thing that happens here is Jesus is going to make his second passion prediction, right? And again, kind of a similar, similar pattern where then the disciples are going to have this, hey, Let's, let's have a conversation about who's the greatest, right? So they kind of have this moment of selfishness. My term would be thick-headedness, which I'm just going to put a T instead of spelling that whole thing out. They have a thick-headed moment. And then Jesus calls them together, right? And he says, if you want to be first, you're going to be last and the servant of all. The servant of all, right? So that's 930 through 35. And then again, as we say, move into the second one, right? 10, 32 through 45 says that they're on their way up to Jerusalem. So we don't know exactly where they are, but they're very close to Jerusalem. Remember, as we're, if I were to go back here, this is all leading up. I mean, we're, we're in, you know, kind of nine, uh, 30, 10, 32 through 45. Oh, who's that? Brian, is that you? Coming in. <laughs> <laughs> we are really close. The triumphal entry is Jesus's entry into Jerusalem. All right. So they are either at Jerusalem or very close to Jerusalem, right? This is all as Jesus is pushing into to his movement towards Jerusalem. And again, you kind of have a very similar pattern. You have Jesus's third kind of passion prediction, Right. And with this one, he kind of adds some more details, right? He's going to, it's going to, he's going to be betrayed by the Jews, handed over to the Gentiles, um, spit on, mocked, killed, flogged. And then you have that. I mean, did anybody smile when the, when you read that? Oh, hey, girls. For sure. Like the cool girls, right? Like they're, okay. Did anybody smile? Now I'm smiling at myself. When Peter and James or Peter and James' son of Zebedee came up to him and said, Rabbi, we want you to do for us, for us, whatever we ask, <laughs> right? So they just have, again, another moment of selfishness, 
we're going to kind of put that capital T thick headedness, right? The disciples, the other disciples hear about, they're like, Hey, we, we want these, we want these positions of power and prestige, right? Which is kind of their request. And then Jesus calls them together and he says, you know, if you want to be great, if you want to be first, you're going to be a servant and a slave, right? And then kind of ends with that, that great verse 10, 45, right? The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this is kind of the way that this, these two passages, again, just to kind of see them, some, see them visually. Sometimes we kind of are reading along. It's hard to understand all of it. But the other thing that's important for us to think about here too is, this is this is like the big section, right? This is this big section we've been talking about. And we started a couple, uh, maybe a month or, or so ago with the healing of the blind man. Remember that two-step healing that Jesus does? He spits on him, he touches his eyes, and the guy looks up and he says, I see people, they look like trees walking around. Jesus touches him again, right? And then he says, wow, his eyes are open, his sight's restored, he sees everything clearly, right? And it's that kind of two-step healing, that, that parable for this section. Peter declares Jesus is the Messiah. And then Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to go and I'm going to be killed and I'm going to rise again. And he talks about the way of the cross, right? And Peter rebukes him and says, no, Rabbi, you're not going to do this. And you kind of are in the middle. The second passion prediction is going to happen in here, right? And then the third one's going to happen. And we're going to talk in a couple of weeks about the healing of blind Bartimaeus. Now, one of the pieces of information that helps us understand this, especially because this pattern, we see it all through chapter nine and 10 with Jesus's uh, passion predictions, right? Where Jesus says, I'm going to suffer and die. I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be spit on. And then I'm going to rise again. And then what you have after is these disciple kind of thick-headed, selfish misunderstandings, right? And this is a pattern. And one of the pieces of information that helps me understand why this is happening again and again and again, because again, everyone sitting in this room is like, come on, guys, like you can get it, right? But one of the things that helps you understand it, I would say, is their age, right? Now, I know a lot of us, myself included, watch The Chosen, really like The Chosen. It's been a great TV show. It's brought a lot of color and dimension to a lot of the Bible stories. One of the things that I think that they really, I don't know, and I'd like to ask them why they did this. One of the things I think they dropped the ball on is how they cast the disciples, right? Here's a picture of, these guys are so cool, aren't they? Like, come on, like flowing locks, you know, like their clothes are a little bit disheveled, but they don't look too ratty. You know, they got nice leather sandals. But you have all these, I mean, how old are these guys in these pictures? What are you guys guessing? 30s, right? Kind of somewhere in that 30s, right? Full beards. Peter's married. He's dealing with like complex issues with his wife, you know. You have James and they're business owners. They kind of got all these things going on, you know. And like to me, this is one of the big mistakes of the series is because I think casting the disciples in this age really misses the age that they actually would have been when when Jesus called his disciples, right? If you were to really kind of, again, most scholars, and again, I'm a little confused why they did this, would place the disciples' age somewhere in their mid to late teens, high school boys, okay? So, Ray Vanderlaan, one a great, incredible Jewish scholar, he said that maybe even as young as 10, which I'm like, whoa, that's that's younger than I've kind of even 
And this was based off a couple things. There's a couple, and we don't have time to go through it like all. There's a couple different passages in the New Testament. One is where only Peter's required to pay the temple tax. Maybe Peter is the oldest. Maybe he's 20. But the, the real kind of piece on this is, is the different ages of, of like Jewish education, right? So even in our own educational system, you kind of have like say junior high and then high school. And then most kids leave the house and go to college around age 18, right? That's kind of like more or less, right? In the Jewish kind of culture, you had these different stages of education and like their kids who were like really kind of the elite learners would be able to follow a rabbi again, somewhere around that 14, 15 year old, they could, if a rabbi, you know, if they were to go follow a rabbi, it would happen around that age, not at this age. Right. So when you're reading these passages, right, we read it sometimes thinking about these grown men, right, with beards, families, lives, businessmen, you know, like all these sorts of things like Matthew's like, you know, and so, but to think about it in this way, I think is a, is a bit inaccurate. Like here's, here's, I always, here's a little side story to the next slide. Again, I was thinking about high school boys. They're high school boys, right? And I was like, okay, I got to find an image of high school boys. So I Googled high school boys and I started looking at pictures and I felt really creepy. <laughs> so I was like, surely I could find one of my own. So here's a picture of just like some high school boys when I used to run a camp or help run a camp down in the Grand Canyon in Supai, right? Like this is what we think about with high school boys, right? They're flexing. They're trying to be cool. They're like one's in front of the other. They're trying to find out that pecking order, right? When we're reading these passages, right? And that, you know, Jesus is talking about his passion prediction. And then the disciples are like, no, let's, let's like, who's going to be in the front? Who's going to be in the front of the picture, right? Like, I'm no, I'm going to stand in the front of the picture, right? Like, of course, right? He's making another passion prediction. And, you know, the other disciples are like, hey, hey, let's, you know, let's, let's talk to Jesus here on the side. Let's figure out how we're going to, right? So like, of course, they're arguing about who's the greatest, right? Of course, they're going to be petitioning, petitioning their rabbi for places of prestige, right? Of course, the other ones are going to be bitter and jealous kind of behind the scenes. Um, you know, of course, they're going to forget Jesus's words about suffering and serving. What proper high school boy is thinking about like, oh, yeah, you know, death is right around the corner. You know, it's like it's coming. It's no, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about girls and you're thinking about, you know, who's cooler and what kind of shorts you're wearing and sunglasses, you know, like, and is my tan good enough? And am I flexing right? How about my hair, right? They're not thinking about these things. So, I, you know, again, it's like, it's almost the most natural thing to think of with kids that age, right? But again, and then going back to the the chosen, I I, I struggle with this because, you know, really, when you when you think about this kind of comparison, right? We struggle with like, why are these guys not getting it? Right? They're they're kind of so lost. I <laughs> okay. Let's look at the men around in this room. Let's see if we have twelve disciples. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Missing one. Oh no! Did I count, Johnny? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Nine, 10, 11. We're missing one. Judas has already left the building. Guys, close your eyes for a second. Think back to your sophomore aged self. <laughs> You're a sophomore in high school, right? And imagine you have this like, again, I, 
I don't know who's in your, somebody calls you to follow them. I don't know who in your sophomore years is, is it Pope Francis? Is it like a Bill Gates or a Steve Jobs, like a Nick Saban or a Warren Buffett? And they kind of say, Hey, I, I got this, I got this job for you. Like, I, I want you to come follow me, come shadow me, come learn under me. I want to teach you some things, right? Now your sophomore brain understands like this is a great opportunity right? Like Tim Cook, Warren Buffett, like this is something I got to pay attention to, right? But, I, you know, the phrase sophomoron, has anybody heard that phrase? Like, you are still, we are still sophomorons. We're immature, right? Look at these guys. <laughs> we have selective listening. We, we are petty and small. We're dense. We're sizing one another up. We're flexing. We're arrogant. We're afraid in that first passage, right? Jesus talks about his, you know, but the son of man was he, but the son of man is going to be killed and then rise again. But they're afraid to ask him what rising from the dead meant. Remember when that little, that little verse in there, they're afraid to ask him. Why are they afraid to ask him? Because Jesus is going to scold them. They're afraid to ask him because they don't want to look dumb in front of one another. They're too arrogant to ask. They're not too afraid to ask. They're too arrogant to ask, right? So. Jesus is, and again, this image right here, right? This, I think, is a big part of just as we move continually through these gospels, right? It, it, put these boys, you don't have to necessarily memorize this photographic picture of, of these, <laughs> these cool kids. But this is, this is what Jesus, this is who Jesus called, right? And by the way, the disciples that he calls, right, aren't like the scholars of the day, right? They're kind of the B team, they're junior varsity, they're the ones who didn't make it, they weren't good enough, right? So Jesus calls these silly, scrawny, high school age boys, and he says, you're going to follow me. Gosh, his patience in this, his love and his tenderness and his gentleness in this is so inspiring. It's so helpful. It's so true for us to consider, right? That This is who Jesus wants to. To, to call and to be around as these young, these young kids, not the, not the cool chosen leather sandaled, bearded, flowing hair, even though I would love to look like, <laughs> okay. That was just, again, big piece of information for us to consider as we understand these disciples, right? And what we're, we're talking about here. Let's move on. Last week, I shared with you Henry Nouwen's book, Way of the Heart. Anybody had a chance to read that one or get into it a little bit? Not yet. You were not here last week. There's one for you. Who else didn't get one last week? Mark didn't get one. Johnny, got two more. I'm going to see you this week. I'm going to get you one. I'm going to give it to one. <clears throat> and Noun's book is just fantastic. We talked a lot about prayer last week. There's another book that I want to talk about this week. And it's called, that, that book was written in 1981, taking it back to the 80s. But I thought we'd have to go back to the 70s this week. Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline. Anybody heard of this book? Yeah, one. Okay. Foster writes this book in the late 1970s, right? Celebration of Discipline. And I, you know, if you're looking for something to read this, this year, I really kind of considering this as maybe a little, there's basically 12 different disciplines, right? And I thought to myself, I'm, again, this is just me thinking out loud. I might, so here's the disciplines, meditation, prayer, fasting, study, simplicity, Solitude, submission, service, confession, worship, guidance, and celebration. 
Is that 12? Right? So I was like, I might just take a chapter a month, you know, and just kind of keep this on the side, a chapter a month, maybe spend February thinking about meditation, right? Like what meditation looks like in my life, maybe March in prayer, April in fasting. And this book, Timeless, I mean, again, in the 70s to today is is just a brilliant book. So I just kind of wanted to put this in front of you as a possibility or just, you know, something to think about. But all that being said, Foster has a chapter in here, chapter, chapter nine on service. Okay. Chapter nine on service. He talks about what it means to be a servant. And I think of, you know, all my years of doing ministry, of studying, of, of learning, of reading. It's the best I've ever come across on Jesus's call to be a servant. And I want to spend the last couple moments here. I want to talk about, you know, Jesus's call here to be a servant, right? To be a slave, what that looks like. So Foster starts off his chapter like this, and this hopefully will get a good chuckle out of you. You know, he says, he quotes Jesus here, right? Jesus says, if anyone wants to be first, he must be the very last and the servant of all, right? And Foster says this, he says, whenever there is trouble about over who is the greatest, there's trouble about over who is the least. That's the crux of the matter for us, isn't it? This last line, most of us know we will never be the greatest. Just don't let us be the least. <laughs> we don't think about it in like those terms. Like, as long as I'm kind of somewhere in the middle there, Jesus, I'm happy. Like, I'm never going to be the greatest pastor, preacher. Just don't let me be the least. Just let me slide somewhere comfortably in the middle, right? So, again, you kind of get a, a flavor for his chapter. Just to kind of summarize a little bit some of the thoughts that are going on in his chapter. The first thing that he mentioned, the first thing I want to mention is this kind of image of the divine other that he talks about, right? This this Imago Dei, right? Imago Christi, right? This is a, a real classical theological issue that we all believe that everybody has within them the image of God. We are all made in the image of God. We are all in the image of Christ, right? And Foster actually used it in a little bit of a different way, but it kind of sprung into my mind a different interpretation or understanding. But I think when we kind of get down to this, this issue of serving, right, of being a servant, one of the things that was helpful for me to think about and consider, and as we do this, right, as you do this in your life, because this happens not only on our fifth Sundays, but it happens in your home, it can happen at work, it can happen when you're at the grocery store, it can happen everywhere. You begin to just say that this person that is in front of you that you happen to be serving has the image of God burning within them, right? Every person that you are ever serving has the image of God shining brightly within them. Now, this helps us because there will be people in your life that you don't think are worthy of your service. Let's be honest, right? Nah, that, that person's like, that person's taken advantage of me. That person's blown it. That person's kind of gotten where they got. They've kind of gotten the results that they, they, they deserve, right? But then you say, okay, let me kind of dust a little bit of that off because right underneath that is the divine in the other, the image of God within them, right? Jesus in his parable of the sheep and the goats, right? And Jesus says to, to visit those in prison, 
widows, the hurting, the lost. The king replies, I tell you, whatever you've done for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you've done it to me, right? You've done it to me. So when we begin with this idea, and again, for these these young high school boys, right? Jesus begins teaching them like, hey, this is everyone has that divine image. Everyone has the image of Christ within within them. That's actually who you're serving, right? We begin there. Now, the second thing that I think is the most important thing I've ever learned on on serving, on being a servant, is is what is he Foster does a fantastic job of combining service, being a servant, and humility in his chapter. Okay. Last week we were talking, we were talking about when the disciples are trying to drive out the demon, right? And they can't drive out that demon. And we use that quote from Tim Keller, right? The disciples tried prayerless exorcism for the same reason they couldn't understand why Jesus had to die. And I loved that little phrase that he used right there. They didn't see how weak and proud they were, right? We have a blind spot, all of us in this room, myself included. We don't see how weak and how proud we are. We spend so much of our lives trying to project strength, don't we? Right? And not like, hey, like I'm strong, but hey, I have it all together. Look at my outfit. I'm presenting. I'm articulate. I'm smart. I have the nice house. I have these. We spend so much of our lives trying to project that strength outwards, right? We have a blind spot on how weak, right? And how proud we are. I'm just humble. I'm just middle class. I just, you know, we just drive a 2010 Subaru. We have nice, you know, we have some, we're not the least, we're not the greatest, you know, we just, right? So Keller kind of, and this was really like, man, we spend so much of our time ignoring those two aspects of our lives, right? But we really are, if we were to really dust away a lot of our religious niceties and we see how weak and how proud we can can be. We underestimate that power of evil in the world and in ourselves, right? So, this concept of humility, right? Let's go back to this concept of humility. It's what Foster says. This is this is one of those moments. Thank you, Robin. I want to fall off my seat. My head explodes. I'm just thinking. I've never take it. Take a little commercial break before we get into it. Wave to the kids. Is that it? Oh, here they go. This is what Foster says, right? This is a connection that Foster makes. Oh, yeah. Okay, so imagine Jesus, imagine Jesus, you know, a guy dies probably around the year 30. So let's just, let's just use real round numbers for just guesstimates. Say they're 15, right? Say that Jesus, they do ministry for three years with Jesus. So say maybe when Jesus dies, they're 18, right? So maybe some of those earliest gospels are written 20 to 30 years later. So maybe at that point, they're kind of pushing into their 30s, 40s, maybe 50s, right? So that's kind of where they would be at that at that point. Okay, if you already had a chance to read it, let me reread it. Foster says this, he says, more than any single way, right? How do we become humble? The grace of humility is worked into our lives through the discipline of service. Humility, as we all know, is one of those virtues that is never gained by seeking it. The more we pursue it, the more distant it becomes. It's a desert mirage, right? You're in the desert thinking, I see water, I see it right up there, and I'm just going to keep pursuing it. You'll never get there, right? Foster says, the result then 
of this daily discipline of serving will be the rise of the grace of humility. This is my favorite line right here. It will slip upon us unawares, right? Do you want to work humility in your life? You don't get it by just pursuing it, right? You serve and then whoop, through the back door, here comes humility. And then he, he says this too, I kind of tack this on the end. He says, even more than the transformation that is occurring within us, we are aware of a deeper love and joy in God, right? So, serve, serving servanthood, what Jesus is talking about in these passages, is this indirect discipline that you engage to build the character of humility within your life. Serving is character curriculum, right? It's stretching for athletes, right? The reason athletes stretch, they get injured less, they get more blood flow to their muscles, they lower their stress, they recover faster. Athletes don't stretch so they can be super flexible, right? They are stretching because they want to be a better athlete. That's what humility, that's what serving is, right? It's a way that you are, it's an indirect discipline that you are doing for character curriculum of humility. Foster says this too, because sometimes when we serve, we want people to know that we've served, right? He says, nothing disciplines that excessive desire of the flesh like service, right? And by the flesh, he means like the kind of the flesh, the lust or our, our fleshly, the, the fleshliness of our, of, our, of our walk, right? He says, nothing disciplines the excessive desire like of the flesh like service. And he says, and nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but screams against hidden service. Have you ever served somebody, right? And you just want them to know, <laughs> right? And you're like, oh, I should tell them, like I should tell my, like I should tell my neighbor I washed their car. I should tell my neighbor that I, I mowed their grass. I should tell my wife that I, you know, I put all their clothes away. I should tell them that I did the dishes. Like they should know that I did these things, right? And again, what transforms, what transforms, how humility comes about in our life hidden service, serving and hidden, right? I think it's not technically hidden. I think what we do at Brookdale is very similar to that. There is no fanfare. There's no, nobody's rolling out the red carpet. Nobody's cheering us on. Nobody really even knows that we go over to Brookdale to serve. And I love that that's what we do, that it's in some sense is hidden, right? I remember a conversation Years ago, we had we were having a board meeting, and one of the board members was like, "Yeah, we we should do these service events, and we should like you know get all this community involvement, and we're going to do this big event. We're going to kind of you know make everybody know about it." And I was like, "I don't know if that's a great idea. You know, I know that that's can happen, but I think when a church serves in hidden, right? When we kind of just say, "I'm just gonna, we're just going to do this." Again, it is that stretching that builds the discipline of humility, not only within ourselves, right, personally, but also within our church corporately, right? So, Foster, again, makes this great point. And then he has this, this last thing I want to talk about, which is choosing to be a servant, to be a slave, right? Choosing to be a servant or, or, or a slave. Jesus uses both those words. Foster says, 
when we choose to serve, we are still in charge, right? When we choose to serve, we are still in charge. We decide who we will serve and when we will serve. And if we are in charge, we will worry a great deal about anyone stepping on us. But when we choose to be a servant, right, we give up the right to be in charge. There's a great freedom in this. If we voluntarily choose to be taken advantage of, we cannot be manipulated. When we choose to be a servant, we surrender the right to decide who and when we will serve. We become available and vulnerable. And, you know, if you take this quote, right? Because there is this fear that arises when we serve that, yes, okay, somebody's going to like, well, now I'm going to be doing everything and they're just going to be taking advantage of me. Or, you know, my my retreat that I like to go into, and we, I've shared this and I know a few of you resonate with this. I get into that sense of pity, martyrdom, right? Like, poor me. I'm just doing it all. You know, I, I'm working at the church and, you know, I'm taking care of James and I have to make the dinners at night poor, and I do the dishes and poor me, you know, poor Eric's just doing everything, right? Why? Because I'm having this like, oh, I'm just choosing to serve, right? But when I re-almost identify myself as a servant, God, you've called me to be a servant to my family, to those who have the image of God around me, right? When you think about Mother Teresa saying, well, you know, they're, they're really taking advantage of Mother Teresa over there. Did you see how many shoes she gave out? Like she didn't even get a pair of shoes. They're really, no, no, we never think that because Mother Teresa had chosen to be a servant, right? That's the call for us that choosing to be a servant. One last thing, and I don't have time to go through all this. Foster gives a lot of great examples in his book about how to serve right? He talks about just small things, right? All the kind of small day-to-day things that come up, guarding the reputation. Because we think of like, okay, fifth Sunday, we're going to go help somebody out. Guarding the reputation of others. He talks about the the service of being served, which is kind of a little fun little paragraph or two that he talks about. The service of common courtesy, just being kind to other people, being nice. The service of hospitality. The service of listening the service of bearing burdens. This last one, he talks about sharing the word of life with one another. Um, This was important when we pray this all the time for God to speak to us, right? God, would you speak to us? Would you share your word with us? When God speaks to us that we would serve the community by sharing that with other people, right? God's active in speaking to us. Let's let that be known in our community. So he has these, all these kind of great little two, three paragraphs on, on ideas for serving. Cause it's not just like going out and helping one another, helping other people out and doing projects and fifth Sunday. There's all these sorts of small things that we do that kind of help us become a servant. And if nothing else, here's a prayer that he, he kind of concludes the chapter with Lord Jesus, I would so appreciate if you would bring me someone today whom I can serve. You know, we talked about prayer last week, right? Another great prayer another great small prayer, and you just pray this sincerely, right? Lord Jesus, I would so appreciate if you would bring me someone today whom I can serve. I think that's about enough for the morning. Yeah? Okay. Let's do a couple questions. And I felt that, do we need to, I felt like last week there was great energy in the room once we got up and moved around. You with me on that? We need to do that again? 
Let's get up in the room. Let's get a little blood flowing. Find someone new, maybe someone you didn't talk to last week. Move around and partner up with one or two people. And here's the questions. The praise, the problems, the pushback. Is there like just a high school boy that comes to mind? Someone you know that, man, you think about a disciple. How to see in the divine image and all adjust your perspective on serving. And then think about the connection between service and humility, which stands out to you. And then where do you, that's the wrong one. I need to change that last one. You should introduce one to Jordan. I will. There's yeah, <laughs> 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 <